Welcome to Education Connect by NOVA, the podcast that explores innovative teaching methods and success stories, newsworthy updates in education, and current trends in the classroom. Whether you're a veteran educator, an industry thought leader, or a parent navigating the academic landscape for your child, we've got you covered. And hey, we know all about the hectic schedules and academics, so we're all about delivering content that's relevant, concise, and actionable. So hit that subscribe button and let's learn better together. Hi everyone, and welcome to Education Connect by Nova, the podcast where we learn from experts, innovators, and leaders in the world of education. This episode is all about navigating the changing admissions landscape for private schools. Significant changes have taken place over the last three years, and in order to be successful, you have to stay ahead of the curve. So stay tuned until the end, where we'll tell you more of our best practices for applying to private school in the following years to come. Today, I'm here with Diane Barnett. You might remember Diane from our first episode. She's an education consultant with nearly 30 years of experience. Since her start, she's been a mentor to over 400 students, 96% of whom were accepted into their top choice schools. Hi, Diane. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Thank you for coming on to the show. You are most welcome. <laughs> so it's been a wild three years in academics. The pandemic certainly shifted things, especially in terms of student life. Um, one example that comes to mind is how schools handled remote learning. So while many public schools either shut down completely or weren't prepared for remote learning, some private schools continued as normal. Why do you think this was? Well, especially for boarding schools, what they had the opportunity to do that no other schools could do is really they created a bubble, just like some families joined with one other family, right? And the, and the five of them or the seven of them could speak with each other and be together because they agreed that that would just be their bubble and they wouldn't bring other people in or they wouldn't go outside of it. Boarding school is a bubble in and of itself, right? So many schools stopped the day students from coming at first. But so many of the staff, faculty, administration live on those campuses. So they really were able to create safely a space where they could continue, continue educating students and not risk, you know, people bringing things, COVID was the germ, but bringing things in or, or people carrying it out. So that was the first level that, that was affected the least, the borders who got to stay on their campuses. Now, most schools had to move out in, in March, you know, right when, when the quarantine started, but they were the first schools to be able to resume, to bring kids back on campus, to do that two week quarantine, to have negative COVID tests. And then they kept their kids there for the duration. You know, most schools canceled spring break. They, they, once the students got there, they couldn't leave, but they were able to continue education as normal as much as you can in the world that was no longer normal. Mm. Stepping down from that, general private schools, not boarding, are still a much smaller in general so class size. You know, we have public schools and public high schools, especially in the United States, that have six, seven, eight thousand students. It, logistically, that's just impossible to control the people's, the comings and the goings and the exposure rates. But when your school has 140 kids, that's a lot more manageable. So the teachers had smaller classroom size. In general, the teachers had a little bit more flexibility. They, they don't go by the same state guidelines for curriculum. So there was flexibility in what they could teach, what they could skip, what they could, you know, stress. So it just gave 
the private schools an edge with contained campuses, smaller class size, and the flexibility of curriculum. As a result, I think a lot of parents saw how valuable private education was or could potentially be, especially when it comes to a major disruptor like that, seeing students, um, you know, kind of have to turn their lives upside down versus someone who really gets to experience normal academic life. In a recent survey by the Cato Institute, 68 private schools reported an increase of over 52% in student enrollment. Um, and this also included pre, uh, private pre-kindergarten schools. What are your thoughts on this increase of applicants in the last couple of years? Well, the first thing I think <laughs> parents, mothers, fathers, guardians, saw firsthand how difficult it is to be a teacher. <laughs> we were all kind of thrust into roles unprepared to be the teacher, the tutor, the curriculum director for our family. But when the kids came home, little kids, medium kids, big kids, it became much more of an onus on parents. High schoolers and middle schoolers could go to their rooms on their laptops and kind of handle that situation themselves for the most part. But the little guys, you can't put a first grader in front of a computer for six hours and tell them to be pay attention, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think families really began to reassess the priorities for their family. Maybe private school seemed like a luxury that they really couldn't afford. And all of a sudden, the value of what a teacher provides to a student, what a classroom provides to a student became much more apparent for these families. So you know, finances were reassessed. And, and I think a lot of people are choosing, if at all possible, to at least explore private schools, especially in the younger grades. It's hard to, to teach first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, preschool. Those are hard things. And so much of that time, that bandwidth that mothers and fathers, guardians, they didn't have extra to give. They were adjusting to remote working. They were adjusting to a, a 40 hour plus extended work day. Mm. And I think a lot of us reassessed priorities. You know, I think, I, I think it's important in this conversation to remember that, that that still the amount of children that go to private school in this country is relatively minuscule compared to those who go to public school. So the National Center for Education Statistics that keeps track of all of those things um, said that 9% of U.S. kids go to public go to private school in any regard, whether that's a, a preschool program or through twelfth grade. So parents who pay for their child to go to school, so that nine percent translates to about four point seven million kids. Still a lot of kids, but we have fifty three point nine million kids who go to public school. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's still and that number becomes really important when we get into later in this discussion talking about admissions, because you are competing with the educational elite by the time you get into competing for some of these elite private school spots. You know, it's the best of the best, the kids that have the families who have prioritized education, the kids who have a passion for something. So although a lot of families are, are exploring it and trying it, it still is a competitive game out there. Definitely competitive. Mm. That's, uh, you bring up a really interesting point because um, even though the numbers or the figures compared to each other between private and public school uh, admitted students, 
you know, the numbers are quite low when you when you say them compared side by side. But when we see schools handling kind of an influx of new applicants, and particularly with some uh, states now offering universal private school options, making private school a little bit more accessible for some families, um, I'm curious to see if admissions are going to increase or have already started increasing for some schools. Maybe not all, but perhaps some of them are seeing um, higher volumes of applicants. They are almost across the board seeing a higher number of applicants. Okay. Seeing a higher number of applicants does not, though, translate into higher enrollment. Um, mm. Most of the schools, the, 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 now we're not talking about your local parochial school down the street, right? We're talking about some of the elite private schools, the top 20 or top 50 private high schools in the country that if we said the names, everybody would recognize them. They don't have any more dorms. They don't have any more beds. So the number of kids and one of their selling points is always been small class size mm -hmm. and intimate setting. They don't want or need to grow exponentially. So um, they could admit more day students. You know, there's ways to, to get around a little bit of that increased enrollment based upon increased demand. But those schools really are not changing their infrastructure. They're not rushing to build new dorms. They're not adding faculty. They want to keep the size, the size it is because that's purposeful. They, they want that faculty to teacher ratio to be seven to one or eight to one. That's one of their selling points. So yes, there are definitely more kids applying, but there are not necessarily more spots. Hmm. So that might then translate to an increase in competition. So <laughs> absolutely. How how do you think, mm, let's say, private schools admissions on a general basis are handling an influx of new applicants since the uh, acceptance rates aren't rising along with them? Right, right. And in fact, the as acceptance rates are falling as a result of the numbers, the sheer numbers of applicants versus spots, you know, mm. that those those numbers are a little bit, we're seeing the same thing in college admissions that, that have gone test optional. Some of these top boarding schools, there are several exams that have been historically used. The SSAT, the ISEE, the, um, some schools have their own entrance replacement exams. And, and what happens with those is it becomes an accessibility issue, especially in the times of a global pandemic. So a lot of schools, just like colleges made SAT and ACT optional, a lot of schools have made the high school entrance exams optional. So what that does is you no longer have to be testing at the 90th or 94th percentile to be competitive. You, Not all kids are great test takers. That doesn't mean they're not great students. So that opens the doors to a lot of kids to apply that maybe wouldn't have because they thought they didn't have a chance before. Mm -hmm. So it, it changes the competition pool a little bit. Schools also, you know, whether we like these standardized tests or not, and everyone has strong feelings about them, it is the one gauge that is the same for everyone. There's great inflation at schools. There's, there's, GPAs are all on different scales. So the one metric that is consistent across the board is these entrance exams. Hmm. So when we do away with those, we, we eliminate the one metric that is quote unquote fair for all kids. Now it's not fair for all kids, but, but it's the same at least for all kids. So increasing the numbers 
without increasing the staff. Remember most of these places, most of these schools have four, maybe five admission workers. So when they're getting applications by the hundreds or thousands, what that does is where they used to look at it for 12 minutes, they're now looking at each application for under six minutes. You do not have a lot of time to make an impact. So the interview becomes exceptionally important for these private schools. Colleges have gotten away from interviewing for the most part, but most all of the private high schools that I know about in all parts of the country require an interview. Most of them require a parent interview as well. Hmm. Let's talk about that interview a little bit more in that case. So given that's maybe the best way to stand out and of course the uh, really only way to put a face to your application in terms of uh, getting into that private school, um, how do you suggest that the student or the parent or both prepare um, or plan ahead for these interviews? So it's really difficult. Let's not forget when we are talking about private school admissions, you were doing that in the fall of your eighth grade year. So you are 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. Yeah. That is a lot of, you haven't had a job interview yet. You haven't had a lot of interactions where adults are bombarding you with questions. You know, it, it's a big process. So the best way to get ready for it for parents who think this will be the trajectory for their kids starting in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, expose them to adults, take them to your work, let them have conversations with other grownups who are not your family, you know, not grandma and grandpa, that's lovely, but, but have them get more comfortable speaking to adults, talk mm -hmm. about eye contact, Teach your kids what a handshake is, a strong handshake and how that represents you. Teach them confidence in their posture. All these things are not a one-time conversation the night before you're going into Groton or whatever for an interview, right? These are mm -hmm. conversations and these are practices that need to happen for months, if not years before the process. If you really want to show who you are, the first thing that you have to overcome are those nerves. You have to be able to exhale and, you know, be comfortable enough in the situation that you can have a dialogue with the interviewer. That's really what they're looking for. These places are, they're educators. They're pro kids. They are not there to trip you up and make you feel uncomfortable. They want a dialogue, but the best dialogues happen when both parties are comfortable in the situation. And, and that's a hard thing for a 12 or 13 year old to get comfortable with. Mm. I mean, that must be, I, at least looking back to when I was 13, I don't remember <laughs> ever interviewing at that age uh, for anything. So, <laughs> so this could, I, you know, I be... remember even babysitting and somebody would say, well, how much, are, how much do you get per hour? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I, like, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever you want to pay me, you know, like it's yeah. really nerve wracking. Most kids haven't had those kind of experiences. So just giving them exposure to more adults and, and talking about, you know, how you would handle that. What do you think of X, Y, or Z and why mm. we need to teach kids that um, the purpose of the interview is to show who you are. So there has to be a why behind every answer. You can't just say, I like this. I like your school because it's ranked number two in the country. They know that. 
Why mm -hmm. do you like this school? What about it matches your personality and your life, um, your goals for your education? You know, be specific, learn about the school before you go in. And just because it's number two in the country or number two in your state doesn't mean that's the best fit for you. Find out if it is before you go in the doors. Mm, great advice. So just to recap, a really good start would be to expose students early on to adult conversations or interactions with adults that they might not necessarily be familiar or super comfortable with, where they can kind of get on their toes a little bit and think critically about the conversation. They might also practice some questions ahead of time, uh, explain the why, and get specific about the reason why they're interested in a school beyond just it's the top school or the top five, whatever, um, and why it makes sense for that student to get in. What, what admissions officers are looking for in the interview is these schools have amazing opportunities, almost limitless opportunities for students that go there. They bring in speakers, world-class speakers. They bring in orchestras and ballet companies, just everything, sports team. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And they want students that will drink that up, take advantage of all those opportunities, and then turn that, internalize all those experiences and become contributing, thoughtful, critically thinking adults who, you know, on the way to college, go to great colleges and then represent these schools proudly in years to come, right? They're thinking down the road to, they want a strong alumni pool. So they want kids who will take advantage of all these opportunities, show them that you're that kid. And we can get into a little bit more about um, the questions and things that they might expect to hear during an interview. But for a student who's trying to do some research before an interview, what are some helpful area places that they could look to find these specific details about a school? You know, I say the same thing for college. The schools are telling you who they want and what they want in two places. Their mission statement that you will find on every school website and their core values. Sometimes those things are merged together and sometimes they're delineated separately. But you, every school you will find their mission statement and their core values. They are telling you what is important to them. Is service their focus? Is diversity their focus? Is intellectual curiosity their focus? And all those things will probably be mentioned. But if you go through that and really say, oh, I disagree with one of those things. Okay, that might not be your school and that's okay. Or, oh my gosh, they just put into words exactly what I feel about X issue. And that might be your place. So, so look for things that resonate with you. But the, the best place to start are the school websites. Do the virtual tours, even if you're far away. I strongly suggest doing a, a real campus tour if you can. Um, most of them do a tour combined with the interview. So it's a part of that same day. If... Um, this is easier to find on college campuses, but a lot of the boarding school campuses and private schools I've been on in the last year have access, whether it's in the main building or in the student cafeteria, pick up a student run newspaper, see what the kids on that campus are saying about that school. 
that's unfiltered for the most part. They, they have freedom to write whatever they want. That's a great indicator of what the kids on that who live there are feeling and thinking and experiencing as part of the campus. That's a great place to start also. Awesome examples. Really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely thinking that uh, one of the great ways to get to know a campus um, just, you know, in a well-rounded way is to also ask students. And so this is an awesome suggestion to go right into student literature and see what, yeah. you know, what's being published on the campus. So awesome. And they now, train their student tour guides very well. Colleges do too. You know, they, they, those students are trained really well. So if you really want some deeper questions, talk to a student who's not the, not the tour guide. <laughs> Because they're, they're told well to put the best picture of their, their university or their college or their boarding school on display. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just know that that's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a sales pitch. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good advice. Awesome. So now you also mentioned earlier that there is almost certainly a student interview and potentially also a parent interview. Mm -hmm. Now, in some formats, the parent and the student might interview together, and sometimes they might interview separately. So yeah, it's almost always separate. Almost always separate. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I, in that case, then the questions that they'll ask both, I assume, are going to be quite different from each other. So how could parents and students prepare for questions, and maybe what are some typical questions that they could expect? For students, I always tell them the first thing that everyone is going to ask you, regardless of where you're applying, is either introduce yourself or tell me about yourself. You know, they truly want to know who, what makes you tick, who are you? And, and conversely, what they're going to ask the parents is, tell me about your son, daughter, child, right? This is the time to brag, <laughs> tell them how amazing you think they are, Give them some evidence to support how amazing you believe them to be. And um, th that's always going to be one question. The parents get a lot of questions about how can, how do you see your family contributing to our school or being a part of our school? Schools want family involvement, definitely. And, and for students, you know, I always talk about it if you think about who you, in the course of your day, who do you remember at the end of a week when you've met professionals, you've been at a networking event, you've met your boyfriend's parents, whatever. It's the people you've made a connection with. So the interviews that are happening in person, you walk into an office. Okay, look around. Do they have a picture of their golden retriever? They love dogs. Does their son have a lacrosse uniform on? Talk to them about, do you love lacrosse too? or they have a pennant from Ohio State, oh, they're probably a football fan. Make a connection, genuine, don't, don't make it up. But if you like dogs too, talk about that golden retriever. If you love college football or the Big Ten, talk about that Ohio State pennant. Make a connection. That is who people will remember. And your job in the interview is to be memorable. That's fantastic. Those are words to live by. Once again, I yeah. feel like every single time we have this interview, you say um, like a key statement. And I think that's really a good one that we need to highlight. So <laughs> your job in the interview is to be memorable for sure. And genuine, you know, don't make it up. If you're allergic or afraid of dogs, don't try to go on a five minute segue about the golden retriever because it will fail. It, you know, it won't, it so won't true. come across as disingenuous. 
So be memorable, but be yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, these interviews definitely favor extroverted students. It is easier for extroverts to make those cocktail party conversations, right? But don't be, you know, don't be too discouraged if you're an introvert because introverts can also make deeper connections. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if you don't have a hundred things to talk about, talk about the three things you believe in and, and talk about them with passion. It's okay if you're not all over the place. It's okay if you don't know everything about Big Ten football, you don't have to. Mm. Do you know everything there is to know about rowing or the state of the water in the Charles River or whatever your thing is? It doesn't, there's no better things to love than, than less. What is important is the passion and, and that you really feel strongly about something. Perfect. So we're, we're focusing a bit on the face-to-face interview. And by this point, uh, we could assume that most interviews will be exactly that. But what about if a student has a digital interview? Are there any suggestions you might have for them preparing for something over Zoom or FaceTime? I, I'm not really sure which one would be <laughs> applicable. Yeah, but I think most Google schools meet. do use Zoom. There's still a ton of international applicants that, and schools understand that not everyone can, can or would jump on a plane to come to the United States. A lot of schools travel overseas, and so they can still do those interviews face-to-face in not the school setting, so you wouldn't get the tour. But, hmm. but Zoom, I think kids have gotten a little bit, all of us have gotten a little bit complacent. You know, in 2020, we were still um, wearing all really nice clothes, and now we're lucky if we have a shirt that's presentable, right? Absolutely. So you want, I, I tell my kids, make sure that they can see your whole face, your mouth, your head. Um, make sure you're well lit. Make sure you do have on a nice shirt, match the dress code of the school. If the school is a place, and this is true for in-person as well. If the school has a uniform and um, boys are in, are in suit and tie and girls are in skirts, jumpers, whatever, match that, wear that. Um, so just because you're online, don't think you should dress down. You can wear your pajama bottoms if you want, but from what can be seen, match the dress code of the school. You need to keep your face centered. You need to speak clearly and still try to engage on a personal level. But, you know, having the lights on, keeping your face centered and and dressing professionally for what the school requires of you are still really important. So we just talked about competition being um, kind of one of the major pivot changes in the last few years when it comes to private uh, private and college, actually, private school and college yeah. admissions. Um, are there any other maybe adjustments or changes in the admissions process or kind of trends that you are seeing at this point in time? You know, I think with um, more applicants for the same number of spots, the, the percentages of, of admissions are going down. It, it's getting harder and harder. Those are Schools that used to accept, you know, 15 to 20% are, are now in single digits, nine, eight, seven percent acceptance rates. That feels really discouraging and it's really difficult out there. I think the same thing holds true when the acceptance rate was 15% or if it's 5%. Show the school why that school and you are a match. 
What about their offerings speaks to you? Have you already finished pre-calculus in eighth grade? So you need four years of higher math. Make sure they offer that. If the highest math class they have is Calc AP, AP Calc AB, well, you're going to age out of math at that school in ninth grade. That's not a fit for you. Okay. So tell them, tell them you've done your research, tell them why their school specifically is a match for you specifically. The, the thing that you don't have the opportunity to do for the most part in college is have that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with an interviewer. And, and that no matter what the acceptance rates are, that time where you can express yourself and show them what an asset you would be to their program and how you would take advantage of all the opportunities that their school offers to you. That's your key. That's how you set yourself apart. And, and it has to be genuine. It has to be real. And I chose this school because it's ranked number X is never the answer. Okay. It Any can be why you started your journey, why you started looking into that school. And that's fine. Everyone has to start somewhere, but that's not your final why. So search for that. Mm. So the why and really the specifics behind it, uh, your application. That's wonderful. Are there any other suggestions just to finish up here? Are there any other maybe thoughts or kind of takeaways for students who are planning to navigate or are currently navigating the private school admissions um, for this year or maybe in the next year to come? If you're still on your applications this year, get them in. You don't have much time, less than a month. That's but true. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You, you have a little bit of time. Just keep working. There are so many essays and I know kids get fatigued with the process. But the final essay that you submit needs to be as strong, as thought out, as grammatically correct and structured, as well as the first one that you submitted. So give yourself the time. It's okay to ask a proofreader. It's okay to get suggestions from others, but know that writing is super personal and it should be. These are your stories. No one knows your stories as well as you do. So take advice with a grain of salt. If you don't want to change the wording of something, don't change it. Now, if somebody tell, if your English teacher tells you, you need three more commas, I suggest you take that advice, <laughs> but, but the, the, the meat of your story should be yours. And it's important that when you go in for your interview, the writing level, the communication level that is exhibited in those essays are what you are able to exhibit in real life. Mm. There are people who every year, for whatever reason, try to cheat or backdoor or have somebody write their essays or have somebody do this or that. If someone else writes your essays, that person isn't going to go in for the interview. And those levels of, of dialogue and communication and your speech pattern are not going to match. Admission mm -hmm. officers are not stupid. <laughs> they, yeah. Most of them have been doing it for a long time. They're pretty savvy at the process. So be authentic in your interview, but be authentic in your essay. Let your voice come through. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We are just out of time, but this is a great wrap up. Thank you again, Diane. You have some awesome suggestions. And I'm sure that any student or parent listening to this podcast is going to have a lot of great takeaways for their next uh, application that they send in. So thank you again. Thanks, Erin. All right. Take care. Bye.